All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, it is Monday, which means we are standing in the confessional corner, although this is being put out on Tuesday. This is still the confessional corner, and we are getting started in these small called articles. So last week we had the history leading up from the posting of the 95 Theses on up to the fact that there was no council in Mantua. <gasps> Shocking. All right, so we're going to look at what Luther had prepared as his statement for the Wittenberg Theology faculty, but also all of the princes that had joined together in the Smalkaldic League. It's a very short preface we're going to look through today, and then next week we'll get into the articles that talk about what we have in common before we get into the really bad ones that we have issues with. All right, so we begin the preface of the small called articles pope paul iii called a council last year that was supposed to assemble at mantua around pentecost later he moved it from mantua now no one knows where he will or can hold it on our side we expected either to be summoned to the council or to just be condemned without being summoned i was told to set forth and pull together the doc the articles of our doctrine in the deliberations at the council, we could then be clear about what we would be willing and able to concede to the papist and what points we intend to persist with and stand for to the end. Okay, giving the historical background, this is why these small called articles exist in the first place. And he expected it to be a condemnation of him, whether he was there or not. This would happen to at the Council of Trent about a decade after Luther dies, when this council finally happens. We continue on in paragraphs 2 and 3. So I have compiled these articles and presented them to our side, which has unanimously accepted and confessed them. We have resolved to present these publicly to set forth the confession of our faith. Perhaps the Pope with his supporters would be so bold as to hold a truly free Christian council, seriously and in good faith, as is his duty, without lying and cheating. The Roman court, though, is terribly afraid of a free Christian council. They are ashamed to be exposed to the light. The Roman court has dashed the hope, even of those who are on their side, that they will ever permit a free council, much less hold one themselves. Many on the Pope's side are greatly offended and rightly troubled at this negligence, for they realize that the Pope would rather see all Christendom perish and all souls damned than allow either himself or his followers to be reformed even a little or to have their tyranny be limited. Yet I have decided to publish these articles in plain print in case I should die before there would be a council, as I fully expect and hope. For those scoundrels who run away from the light and avoid the day are taking pains to delay and prevent the council. If I do die, those who are alive and those who come after me will have my testimony and confession, in addition to the one I have issued previously. I have remained in this confession up to now, and by God's grace, I will remain in it. So Luther expected, honestly, to be dead before any council would be called. I don't believe that the Pope really wanted to deal with Luther himself. And of course, it might have been an idea in his mind that, oh, he's right and great on paper, but you put him in front of people and no, he's not going to be as brave and brazen. But anybody who has read Luther's sermons that he delivered to the people in Wittenberg 
know that that's not the case. Just like Paul, the same stern warnings you got from him in letters, you would get in person. And so Luther fully expected to be dead long before the Pope ever decided to allow a council to happen. And so they were doing everything they could to prolong it and postpone it. We move on. What should I say? Why should I complain? I am still alive, writing, preaching, and lecturing daily. Yet poisonous people, not only adversaries, but also false brothers who profess to be on our side, dare to cite my writings and doctrine directly against me. They let me look on and listen, even though they know very well that I teach differently from what they say. They want to dress up their position with my labor. Under my name, they want to mislead the poor people. What will happen, dear God, when I am dead? I should reply to everything while I am still alive. Then again, how can I stop all the mouths of the devil by myself? Especially of those so poisoned that they will not listen or pay attention to what we write. Instead, with all diligence, they only busy themselves with how they can most shamefully twist and pervert every letter of our words. These I let the devil answer, or ultimately God's wrath, as they deserve. I often think of the good Gerson, who doubts whether anything good should be written for the public and published. If it is not published, many souls are neglected who could be freed. But if it is published, the devil is there with malignant, deceitful tongues without number that poison and pervert everything, so that the usefulness of the writing is prevented. Yet what they gain by doing this is obvious. Even though they have lied so shamefully against us and by their lies tried to get the people on their side, God has constantly advanced his work. He has been making their following even smaller and ours greater. He has caused them to be shamed with their lies and still causes this. Who is Gerson? That is a good question, isn't it? Jean Gerson was the chancellor of the University of Paris back in the 14th century and the early 15th century. He was one who not only tried to get some reformations in in France, but was also one of the best philosophers of his day. He thought that Anything that is published is basically futile. You're going to have the detractors that say anything against it. And that's true. I mean, you have Luther writing and you have people condemning his works. You have Christians writing today that are constantly bombarded with attacks from the outside and even from the inside of the Christian faith, trying just to discredit them. Why? The devil getting into their ear. Luther purposely publishes these articles so that the Reformation's desire to free the souls trapped by the devil's malignant, deceitful tongues might continue. That it would not come up as finally everything just folds together like a house of cards collapsing, but that the Reformation would stand. So it continues on. I have to tell a story. A doctor was sent here to Wittenberg from France, who openly told us that his king was convinced that we have no church, no government, no marriage, but that we all live promiscuously like cattle and do as we please. 
Imagine those whose writings have instilled such crude lies into the king and other countries, presenting them as the pure truth. How will they face us when we are brought before the judgment seat of Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.10 Christ, the Lord and judge of us all, knows well when they lie and have lied. They, in turn, must hear his sentence. I know that certainly. May God convert to repentance those who can be converted. To the rest will be said, woe and alas for eternity. And so I turn to the subject. I really would like to see a truly Christian council so that many people and issues might be helped. Not that we need help. Our churches now, through God's grace, are enlightened and equipped with the pure word and right use of the sacraments, with knowledge of the various callings and right works. So on our part, we ask for no counsel. On such points, we have better, nothing better to hope or expect from a council. But we see throughout the bishop's jurisdictions so many parishes vacant and desolate that it breaks our heart. Still, neither the bishops nor the church officials care how the poor people live or die. Christ has died for them, and yet they are not allowed to hear him speak as the true shepherd with his sheep. John 10, 11-18 This makes me shudder and fear that someday he might send a council of angels upon Germany who will utterly destroy us like Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19, for wickedly mocking him with the pretext of a council. Even in the 1530s, many parishes were unduly vacant. Would this be a reason for God to unleash Sodom and Gomorrah-like destruction on America, who also has so many vacant congregations, so many people not being fed by a full-time pastor? or even a part-time pastor, as many cases would have to be. But again, should God promote this counsel of the angels sending down the fire and brimstone on us? I say yes, because we need the wake-up call. We have so many churches that are slowly dying, hanging on by a thread simply because they want to keep their church building instead of going in with a church down the road. Now, is this the easiest task to undertake? Absolutely not, because you are dealing with the family of God, the saints of our Lord, but you're also dealing with sinners as well who have pride in what they have built up or their families or their congregation has built up over the years of their existence and see a merger like that as a throwing of it all away, getting rid of all of history. Which my question is, which is more important, history or the present? What has been done in bygone days or what we can do or not do today? But again, 1530s, the same questions were being asked by Luther and the reformers about even the Catholic parishes. They were doing the best they could to get trained men into the ministry and into the parishes. But the Roman officials, the bishops, yeah, they didn't care. As long as the money kept coming in, however the people got fed, it didn't matter. As long as their pockets were still lined. And that is the sad part of church hierarchy at times, and especially in Rome. But we could go on to this for hours and 
never reach a decision as to how best to fix it. So let us move on, finishing up the last few paragraphs of the preface here. Besides such necessary church affairs, many important matters in the political realm could also be improved. The princes and the estates disagree. Interest rates and greed have burst in like a flood and are defended under the law. Also, disrespect, lust, extravagance in dress, gluttony, gambling, pomp, and all kinds of bad habits and evil. Subjects, servants, and workers in every trade are insubordinate. The demands on the peasants are unfair. Prices are exorbitant. Who can list everything? These things have increased so much that they cannot be corrected by ten councils and twenty commissions. The council would have their hands full of such important issues of the spiritual and earthly realms that are contrary to God would be considered. The childish absurdity of long official gowns, large tonsures, broad sashes, bishops and cardinals' hats, maces, and other vanities would be forgotten. If we had first followed God's command and ordering in the spiritual and secular realms, we could then find enough time to reform food, clothing, tonsures, and surpluses. As long as we want to swallow camels and strain at gnats, Matthew 23, 24, ignore the logs and judge the specks, Matthew 7, 3, we might be satisfied with the council. That is why I have presented just a few articles. We already have so many commands of God to observe in the church, the state, and the family that we can never fulfill them. So what good are decrees and statutes from a council, especially when the important matters commanded by God are ignored? As if he had to honor our vanities as a reward for our treading his solemn commandments underfoot. But our sins weigh upon us and cause God not to be gracious with us. For we do not repent and instead want to defend every abomination. O Lord Jesus Christ, may you yourself hold a council. Deliver your servants by your glorious return. Titus 2.13 The Pope and his followers are done for. They have none of you. Help us who are poor and needy, who sigh to you and who pray to you earnestly. Romans 8, 23 and 26, according to the grace you have given us through your Holy Spirit, Romans 12, 3 and 6, who lives and reigns with you and the Father, blessed forever. Amen. Luther ends the preface with a prayer for Jesus to call for his own counsel. In that counsel, the Pope and his minions would be done for. How often have we prayed for Jesus to return for judgment? Many times it's more of a flippant prayer prayer for Jesus to come before something major that we are not looking forward to happens, that we might be spared from it. But how often do we truly ask for the day of the Lord, that great and awesome day, which is dark gloom and shadow? How often do we truly pray for that to happen? Very much fewer times than we ought to, because that should be a fervent prayer of ours. That come Lord Jesus at the end of Revelation is the true prayer of the church throughout the ages, is to come Lord Jesus, because judgment day means that we get to go home and to live with him forever. All right, we're done with the preface. Next week, we'll get into the articles, especially the articles about God himself, the things that we do agree with with Rome but that they sometimes want to waver on as to whether or not we agree with them. But until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for standing in the confessional corner with me this week, and I pray that this helps you to wrestle with the theologies around you. Amen.